0: In a jam-packed Inside the Ropes today, we catch up with Golf Australia Chairman Andrew Newbold, spend a few minutes with Mark Leishman in the United States and get some brilliant hands-on advice from a man at the coalface of dealing with the COVID-19 crisis at clubs around Australia. Let's go.
1: You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through
2: your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode number 160. Sort of half want to raise the bat every time you reach another decade along the way here, Hazy. Uh, I want to get through today, the chairman of Golf Australia, Andrew Newbold, not too far away from joining us. We're going to hear from Mark Leishman. We're going to catch up with the general manager of Wyndham Golf Club to see how they're dealing with an open door policy that's encouraging golfers to get along and be part of it Or Mark Hayes is here as he always is. Hello, mate.
0: G'day, Murray. Yeah, going to be fascinated to hear Jason Bradley give his insight into what's going on there in Brisbane. So um, there's so much, uh, well, as you'll find out soon, I'm sure, with Andrew Newbold, there's so much going on in club land around the country. And it's, it's really good, this, uh, you know, there's good and bad aspects of this whole crisis. But one is uh, focus on grassroots for, for us all. And this is really important today. In
2: the backyard of Justin Falconer's place as well. It's been too long, young man, since we've heard your dulcet tones. How are you?
3: I'm good, Andy. How are you? It's nice to be well, outside good. catching some rays.
2: No, no, you're an inspiration to us all with the dappled light in the background there and the whole box and dice. Nobody We can see you, nobody else can,
3: but you're dealing with it all okay? Yeah, yeah, no, we're going well. It's, uh, it's funny, there's not much golf being played around the world, but there's still plenty happening, so it's good to keep busy. Well,
2: let's have a chat to the chairman of Golf Australia who um, is leading an organisation that's been Discussed widely and often by golfers right around Australia, as we know, Hazy through conversations with you on this podcast and this radio show over the last four to six weeks, Andrew Newbold has been good enough to join us. Uh, Andrew, thanks for joining us on the show. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Murray. Good to see you. Uh, um, it's been probably you know well known to all now that Golf Australia took a refreshed position on on um, you know the the restrictions around. Um, Covid nineteen, maybe restrictions isn't quite the right word, but for those who haven't caught up yet, basically, what in a nutshell, what was the new position taken by GA last week?
1: So just going back a step, um, when we when we first put out our recommendation to um, for golf courses to be closed, I think there was a a lot of uncertainty and I think even at government level, um, there was a lot of uncertainty about what this um, pandemic was gonna mean to the country. So we took a very cautious approach, which we um, still are very comfortable at having taken because um, I think of the uncertainty, we didn't know how it was gonna affect our staff or our other stakeholders, it's all our golfers. So that was our original position and then, Obviously, we had four weeks of experience uh, with some five states uh, endorsing golf to be played uh, under obviously very strict guidelines. Um, as a result of that experience and talking to various stakeholders in the game, we we reached the conclusion that as a governing body, we were now comfortable for golf to be played. Uh, so that is now our recommendation that provided strict uh, adherence to social distancing and other rules around um, which are particular to golf, we're comfortable that golf can be played safely.
2: Has there been a kind of manifest reaction to the position, the new position taken um, since it was announced? Um, well,
1: I can only speak personally, and from what I've seen, my phone has calmed down quite considerably. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, which is a nice thing, but. Um, I think, uh, obviously, there's still – and, I mean, this is the federated system we live in, Murray, where you've got five states uh, and one territory endorsing golf and, and obviously, Northern Territory and Victoria still prohibiting golf. So um, that, I think, causes some confusion and causes some frustration when mm. um, people in Victoria are told that um, they can't go and play golf. But, look, I, I respect – Um, Victoria's position Um, this is an unprecedented health crisis and um, I'm not one to criticize the Victorian government because they're much closer to the medical advice than I think you and I are Um, and so they're making decisions in the best interest of the whole community obviously that's frustrating for golfers um, but let's face it golf's a game I know it's it's important to a lot of people and I don't underestimate that but um, we're not in a cocoon we we're part of the community um, and I think we ought respect um, the Victorian Government and Northern Territory Government's position, albeit we're advocating um, all the time for our sport.
2: Has there been any government reaction at all, Andrew? Have you heard from anybody, particularly from a Victorian State Government perspective, since, since the announcement last week? No. No,
1: I think... Um, The next time we probably hear from the Murray will be around May 11, I think, which is their next um, review point.
2: You mentioned before that your phone has um, um, not fallen silent but but certainly cooled down a little bit in the last couple of days. Prior to that, where were most of the phone calls coming from? Am I allowed to ask that question?
1: Oh, yeah. Look, I think um, any – Anyone who had my number or email was uh, thought that it was fair game to let me know what they thought, and that's, you know, in a sense that's fair enough. I mean, uh, as you and I know, um, having been involved at uh, at Hawthorne for some period of time, uh, people are always very forthcoming with their opinions, and, um, and that's part of the job I take on. Um, but, you know... Uh, again i just go back to my comment we're not in a cocoon we we take our social responsibility seriously and we're part of the community so uh, we'll we'll always give close consideration to our position on all of this stuff it's unprecedented but we're pretty comfortable about how we've handled it
0: I love hearing I love that he is closely involved with her Hawthorne football club. That always sort of brings a smile to my face. <laughs> but, I, but I, I do want to um, ask Andrew: Have you been surprised at all by the the passion and sometimes that you know the the straight out vitriol around the golf? I know that football is a known entity as far as this is concerned, but this is sort of unprecedented times for golf, isn't
1: it? It is. Um, I'm, I haven't. I haven't been surprised because I know. Um, look, I'm passionate about the sport myself, and I'm. You know, uh, there's nothing more than I'd. I'd like to them to be playing golf, and I. So I'm not surprised um, by the passion that's involved because I know a lot of people love the sport, and I know. I know how important golf clubs and the the sport of golf is to people. A lot of people. Uh, you know, it's the focus of their life, their social life, their their physical and mental well-being focused around the golf course. Um, so I'm not surprised by that at all. Um, I guess uh, maybe a little disappointed with some of the reactions just because I think it ignored, you know, what was going on and the suffering and both economic and physical that's going on in the community, that's all. But look... Um, when I made reference to Murray and Hawthorne, only just that we've spoken over the years about various footy stuff, and um, and and that creates a lot of passion as well. No, Andrew, I think you'll find that Andy's under increasing pressure on the home front to change his allegiance.
0: <laughs> so, uh, you know, if we keep kicking away at him here, this is going to all come up trumps for us. Yeah. Uh,
2: zero chance. Of that <laughs>
0: Andrew, Andrew, um, this is this is uh, as I said. In the intro, there, it's allowed us to take a different focus on what's important in all aspects of life, not just golf. But from a from a Golf Australia perspective, I see um, a huge swing here to clubs. The focus on clubs—it's uh, clearly—and this is this is not a Dorothy Dix question. I've not spoken to yeah. you about this, but uh, it seems that the importance of clubs has really been um, hit home to everyone in Golf Australia at the moment.
1: Yeah, uh, look, and maybe um, I don't know what sort of influence I've had on that, Hazy, but I, I'm, I guess coming from uh, my experience on the AFL Commission, where we spend a lot of time um, focused on the health, uh, both financial and, and pastoral uh, in the clubs, the 18 clubs, um, I, I think a large part of our remit at Golf Australia is um, – you know, the the financial health and, and operation of our clubs. And I'm not talking about all the big clubs that, you know, are bigger and ugly enough to look after themselves. I'm talking about country clubs, regional clubs, marginal clubs, where, um, you know, as I said, they're an important part of the community. And I think it's a large part of our remit to focus on those clubs and, and making them uh, sustainable, um, you know and and a real hub for the communities that um, they form part of. so uh, to what extent I've had some influence over that, but I think it's been led by a lot of the um, staff at Gulf Australia, and maybe this maybe this um, the pandemic has allowed us to focus on the stuff that we should be focused on and and for me, that's a large part of what we should be doing.
3: Andrew what obviously some clubs in some states and some territories as you said have been able to stay open what are we we sort of fortunate in that sense that a lot of our clubs have been able to keep operating even at a reduced level I mean you look at local footy clubs and I mean a lot of tennis courts around uh, areas probably all across the country have just been had to shut down completely so are we sort of fortunate in that in that sense that our game lends itself to one that can has been able to stay open in this time
1: yeah I think that's right Justin and i um you know, I I, th- I think, uh, and I, I we need to get we need to get behind the economics of it. But I suspect that a lot of the pro shops are still suffering. So even though people have been able to play golf, obviously there's no food and beverage. So you know that's obviously a big hit to a lot of clubs. And I think also at pro shop level, people probably aren't spending what they have maybe previously spent. So I think we need to get under the bonnet of that a bit. But surely uh, I agree with you in relation to health and well-being of the golfers who have been able to go and play. I think that's a big tick. But, um, you know, I, I think there's a bit of work to be done to understand what the economic effect of those, um, of those clubs being able to operate has been because I'm not sure it's, it's going to be as pretty as we think it is
2: we, maybe no one's got an answer to this, but you know, we know that sports all over Australia have been you know, hit hard and you know, the, the economic reality that they exist within has been kind of laid bare for, for many. Um, and we know that you know, golf's got its pressures like so many other sports around Australia. Are we worried, and this might be a question to all of you three, but are we worried that memberships, golf club memberships, which are such the lifeblood of so many, um, if there is to be a new kind of economic reality that we're all operating in in the next two to three years and it's a reduced one for for many, are we worried that people may not have the finances available to them to be members of golf clubs the way they have been and, and the impact that that might have?
1: Um, well, certainly, um, Murray, my view would be the answer is yes. I think that's a great unknown. Um, and I think... For example, a lot of uh, people with young families who may who who one one of the the parents may have lost their job. um, I think possibly golf, you know, a membership of a golf club ranging from you know one thousand to five thousand in some cases is a lot of money. Um, Now that's a discretionary spend, I think, and Mm -hmm. and it'll come under scrutiny. Um, so that's where we've got to work with our clubs and we are on 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 membership um, renewals. But they need, you know, our industry needs to be agile and flexible about what the offerings are going forward. Mm-hmm. You know, are there um, 12, 12 round uh, memberships of Peninsula rather than, you know. So we we're, we're just got to, I think clubs need to, start to think about that stuff and again part of our obligation at golf australia is to assist with that work it's a great answer
0: yeah it's a great answer i can can tell you andy from a um not that andrew's not hands-on but the hands-on perspective of the marketing team at the moment is is purely focused on clubs there's nothing else going on that's vaguely even approaching that level of importance and uh you know we we um are in the process of calling every single club around Australia, which I think is quite a remarkable undertaking in itself. But just to hear all the specific stories and then to provide tailored packages, but also communal ideas. Um, you know, Andrew mentioned a couple there, but I, we we've been flat out doing nothing else for the past mm-hmm. couple of weeks. Uh, it, it's clubs, clubs, clubs from us for now, because no clubs. Then golf in Australia, more broadly, not just um, you know tournament level, is is in crisis if we don't get this right.
2: Uh, Andrew, it's great that you're focusing on you know the, the grassroots stuff and in the context of this conversation, that's club memberships. But at the other end of the spectrum is the National Open, something dear to everybody here in Australia and particularly everybody in there at Golf Australia. Is there a chance as some people have been advocating for a while that the Open might be played in maybe February next year?
1: I think everything we're doing now, Andy's up for grabs. Um, so there's a blank Bit of paper around the open. Um, it strikes me that our borders probably won't be open before Christmas. So that will necessarily prevent anyone from outside the country coming in to play the Australian Open. That in of itself, um, I think, causes us to think about the timing of of the National Open. Um, but I don't want to get too far out in front of that decision, but it's something we'll work on over the next, you know, six to eight weeks. I would have thought we'll, um, you know, without speaking to the executives who are responsible, I would have thought we'd need to be in a position to sort of make some sort of announcement around the middle of the year. Okay.
0: Okay. Andy, just, it sort of pertains to that a bit, Andrew, as well, but, um, you know, there are a myriad negatives around what's going on with COVID-19, but you've mentioned a couple of the positives. One, the change focus for Golf Australia to, a, you know, club clubs, clubs. Is it a really good chance also to do things like uh, buddy up a bit better with the PGA or the ALPG or, or other, you know, state bodies, for example, that still exist? Um, is now the time when we can actually, you know,
1: make the best of this situation and start afresh? I reckon... Hazy I hope that that's what people are seeing because um, one of the things again it's probably a bit of a learning that I've um, taken from the AFL throughout this crisis is the collegiate way that everyone including all the clubs and everyone has worked together um, for the betterment of the sport and I think at GA we're now working very closely with the PGA and the the GMA and um, the ALPG so I think it is a great opportunity to reset for the sport where there have been, um, in my assessment, a sort of disparate um, group of interests where um, you, you know, the saying is don't waste a good crisis. And I think it's, it's really opportune for our sport to take advantage of that and come together for, for the, for the sport of golf um, as a whole. So Again, it's something I'm pushing pretty hard. Um, we're coming from a long way back because obviously interests have been so entrenched. Um, as they, you know, naturally, that's a natural thing. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the short answer is yes, now's a great opportunity to to do that.
2: Is it an easy question to answer what breaks that nexus? What's it going to take for, for, yeah. for that to happen?
1: Well, I think for a start... Communication's really important, Andy, and um, I know Hazy will know this, but all the communications that we've been sending out, I've made sure that our, and our executive have, you know, happily done it is involve all the other golfing bodies. So before we go, went out with our, um, I mean, I'll just pick one example. Um, the club support package we went out with um, last week all the relevant stakeholders were consulted and had input into that night to the clubs. PGA gave us um, some information. They're doing some webinar stuff. So we included all of that. Likewise, with our position statement on on Friday, we went to each of those organisations, not necessarily for approval, but here's what we're saying. Got any comments? Um, And I just think... Once you start doing that, you get buy-in, you build relationships and um, who knows what happens from there.
2: For the good of the game in this country, from somebody who knows about this much of it compared to the, the, the depth of understanding you fellas have of it, uh, hopefully that can happen. I'm not an employee of Golf Australia, but I can honestly say as a golf fan that for the good of the game, ever since I've known anything about the operation of the sport in this country, it's screaming out for that to happen. It's just, it's crying out for it to happen. Absolutely. So, um, one of these days, who knows? Um, thanks for coming on. Uh, hopefully, it won't be the last time. I'm, I'm sure people will get a lot from listening to you. And um, hopefully, we get the opportunity to speak to you about this kind of ever evolving landscape um, again soon. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, fellas. Really good. Good on you. Andrew Newbold, Chairman of Golf Australia. There's a lot to think about there. Um, and I'm sure we'll have a chat about elements of it on the way through in the coming shows. Hey, let's get a break out of the way. Mark Leishman's caught up with uh, you two other fellas, and we're going to hear from him on the other side of the break. You're listening to Inside the Ropes.
3: Let's
1: go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, and uh, it's uh, with great pleasure that we had a chat with Mark Leishman, Justin, a couple of weeks ago. I, I, I do apologise for not getting this to you last week, but it was some technical difficulties with my Skype shortcomings perhaps. So with a couple of questions here uh, you know, with, that did pertain to the Masters week, uh, that's when we actually spoke to him, but I think the gist of his question still stands true. Uh, and I started by asking him, uh, what actually was the scenario for him and his family going at home?
4: Yeah, we're all safe. Um, Just staying at home, pretty much. We've got plenty to do around the house, which is good. Um, Keeping me busy, keeping the kids busy. Uh, The weather's starting to fine up, which is good, so we can spend a lot of time outside. And um, Yeah, I mean, it's been nice to spend time with with Audrey and the kids. Um, You know, but obviously we'd rather be down at Augusta getting ready for for the Masters. Um, But you know trying to trying to look at the positives there's there's not too many positives um but trying to to look at those instead of dwell on the on the bad stuff that's happening
0: and one last one about that i suppose audrey's obviously you know this is the anniversary of the you know the toughest time in your life in some respects is she having to do separate things more you know more important things than other other people given what she's been through
4: um, she just got to do what, what everyone else is doing. Really. Um, she has to try not to get it. Uh, she's already had, um, the odds, which is what people are getting who get COVID-19. Uh, and that's what, what's killing them. What's people, what's putting people on the ventilators. Um, so she's had that. We know how bad that can be. Um, she was lucky enough to survive it, but we know that it's not just that bad stuff that happens in the hospital that that affects you it's the stuff that um you know maybe the year or two or three years afterwards where you're trying to recover that's probably the hardest part about it so um yeah she's i guess it's been pretty tough for her but you know we're we're making the best of it and trying not to uh, not to get it yeah. uh, you mentioned
0: outside mate there's been some cracking videos of you and your um grass greenskeeping keeping expertise and um, i'm led to believe that it's coming along nicely just coming into spring for you of course things are starting to go crazy for you things
4: are just starting to green up we had a couple of hot days uh yesterday today tomorrow's going to be hot so it'll only get better from from here on so uh i'm excited for it to start growing more so i can be out there and burn some calories and um just get outside really yeah it's been uh it's been nice to be home for an extended period of time so i can do some stuff to it
0: just go on next level. Did we see video of you burning the round edge of your grass or something?
4: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not really the same as Australia. It's a, it's a different – stuff doesn't burn as easy over here. So it's obviously a touchy subject at the moment. But, um, yes, I did burn my grass. <laughs> so, if I, if, so I didn't do the front because um, I didn't want to look too crazy. But so I so I cut it down, and there was about a hundred hundred garbage bags of, of of grass that I had to cart away. Um, from the back, there was none because I burn it, so wow. it saved me a lot of uh, a lot of uh, hassle, I guess. Sounds like a cutting farm. I, I had the hose ready to go, so <laughs> yeah, pretty much <laughs> controlled burn, we'll call it. Controlled burn, right? Are you in yeah. control of this urge, mate, or is it sort of getting the better of you? No, it's, I think it's gotten the better of me a long time ago. But um, <laughs> no, I'm doing all right with it. It just gives me something to do when I'm, I've am got my weeks off and, um, you know, kids are at school and all that. But now we're we're home so much that they they want to kick me out of the house. So it's a, it's a good getaway for
0: me. You you're taking any tips from the MCG ground staff after what you did during the President's Cup?
4: Yeah, the boys give me a few tips. Uh, that, that was fun. That was a lot of fun, actually, to be out there Uh Obviously, uh, somewhere you don't really expect to be as a golfer, and um, you know, getting out onto the onto the ground there and checking it all out was was very cool.
3: Yeah, it's fascinating. We heard from Stacey Peters last week talking about players, obviously at the, more at the start of their careers, the ones that she deals with, and how they're dealing with. Uh, sort of practising at the moment and probably practising with no sort of end goal and it's not just those sort of younger guys, amateur players at the moment, it's even the top pros are probably thinking a little bit there's not much point being out there grinding uh, seven days a week when there's sort of still two months away from playing. So uh, it's interesting to see see how Leach is uh, dealing with that at the moment.
4: Yeah, we're allowed to go to the courses actually. So um, I actually played this morning for the first time in about two and a half weeks. It was... You know, you have to keep your distance. I think six foot, two meters. You gotta stay away from the guys you're playing with. Um, not touching anybody, which, which is pretty easy to do playing golf. Uh, so yeah, I can do that. I've, I'm chipping and putting at, at my house, uh, and then um, just, you know, when you're bored, it's hard not to just go to the fridge and, you know, grab grab a snack or a beer or whatever. So um, trying to keep that under control too.
0: <laughs> you've lost so many. You've lost so many kilos, though, at least. You don't want to sort of whack them back on, do you?
4: Exactly. No, I don't. So I'm being extra careful.
1: Has the PGA given you guys? Are they sort of keeping you in the loop about the actual the whole tour? Or is it? Do you think it's going to be a tournament by tournament kind of scenario that they'll open back up, or how's that all looking?
4: Yeah, I think it. Um, they are keeping us in the loop. That we actually got an email today about you know our um, yeah, people who, essential staff, they call them, for for the golfers. And if they're out of the country, where are they? Can they get back here? When are they coming back? Um, and then as far as tournaments, you know, I guess that's a, a week-to-week thing. At the moment, we're scheduled to start at Colonial, which is, I think, 21st of May. Uh, I mean, hopefully that can happen. That seems fairly soon to me, but, um, you know, who knows what, what's going to happen with this it gets really hot really quickly here so um hopefully uh, from what I hear i mean obviously I'm not a doctor but th- that doesn't go real well in the heat this virus so um hopefully that'll knock it on the head but i I really don't know it's just a matter of you know have a bit of an off season now and then be ready to go on may 20th. uh yeah may twenty first um if it's May 21st, June, July, I'm not sure. I'll be I'll be ready to go and um, be nice and fresh and hungry and wanting to finish off this season.
0: Is it a scenario that you might play without any galleries? Is that
1: the likelihood?
4: I think there's a... I mean, I haven't... The tour hasn't said that. I think that would be probably a good first step, is to have a tournament. I don't know where the first tournament's going to be, colonial at the moment, and do that with no... No spectators, but with that, there's issues with flights. I mean, we have to go through the airports to get there, and there's logistical problems. And um, I mean, there's still thousands of people that do it without the spectators. You know, the cameramen, the caddies, the players, the the officials, the ground staff. There's a lot of people involved in, in running a tournament, and um, yeah, I don't. I mean, I would think that would be the first step, but Again, I don't know. Hopefully this, you know, coronavirus can um, go away
0: (laughs) as soon (laughs) as possible. So obviously a big schedule coming up, um, and we talked about that a little bit here, but the first aspect of that was what it means to his intentions to play the Australian Open and other tournaments uh, that are on the Australian schedule later this summer.
4: It is going to be tight. Uh, I mean, I'll do everything I can to get back, particularly with it being in Melbourne. Um, I mean, we just built a house in Warrnambool last year, so I want to get back there to that too. So um, there's a lot of reasons I want to get back. You know, my mum and dad are there, my my sister, her kids. Um, you know, I've got a grandmother who's getting fairly old as well. So uh, I got a lot of reasons I want to get back, and the Australian Open is certainly one of them. So, um, but I mean, it depends on if there's how long this the quarantine happens for you know, whether that, how long that goes on for. Um, There's a lot of logistical issues. So yeah, I'm not sure. I I really hope I can get back and I'll do everything I can to get back. If it, if it makes any sense whatsoever. So I'm hoping that
0: it certainly does. It's going to be a jam packed sort of, if it all comes back as planned at the moment, mate, it's going to be a jam packed couple of months from the, you know, from the end of August.
4: It sure is. Yeah. It's uh, what three majors and the playoffs and, Pretty much every tournament is going to be a, a huge tournament, so uh, you know that's why we do the practice. That's what we play for is to play those big events, and it's uh, got to hope you're in form for those ones. You could you could really uh, do some damage um, if you if things are going well, and you know if you if you're not playing well, they're over, and you can look to next year. So I guess it's um, you know, positives either way, really.
0: And, and with that, I mean you obviously started this year beautifully. Um, is it? do you feel a little bit jipped that you didn't get a chance to roll with that or is it just stand you in good stead when you do come back or is it who knows? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both.
4: Um, I think the guys that didn't start the year well, I think it's it's worse for them because, you know, they don't have that opportunity to, to ease their way back into the season. They're going to have to come back when, whenever that is and go hard and try and get back into, you know, that top 125 or the top 70 or the top 30 or whatever it is. Um me, I'm sort of, you know, locked in for that top 30 now. Um, yes, I would love to have kept playing. I would love to have played the Masters this week in the form I'm in. Um, but, yeah, you it know, wasn't a to be. and I'm not going to dwell on that or just, you know, look at it as a... Look, look at the positives that are coming out of it and that's spending more time with the kids and um, getting to kind of have an off-season, which I haven't had for probably 12 years.
0: Naturally, one of the uh, events that's high on uh, Mark Leishman's agenda is the Olympic Games. Uh, he was very close. As we've mentioned before uh, the, on the podcast, the, uh, I guess the logistics around selection are yet to be finalised, but he was very close, tantalisingly close, as a matter of fact. He was only a couple of months away from being formally selected, uh, and he does sound very keen on getting to the Olympic Games in Tokyo. Yeah,
4: I'd love to. That was a, a big goal of mine to to be on that team, and looked like I was a pretty good chance. Um, but you know, that'll have to be held off another year now. But hopefully, I can be you know number one on that list instead of number two next year when it when that comes around. So um, again, try and look at the positives, and uh, yeah, it's a that's a, such a huge event, and for so many people to travel around the world, that it was just it seemed like it could have been a recipe for disaster with what's happening so i think that was definitely the right decision
3: made so we heard last year obviously the changed pga tour schedule with the majors they cramped them up to the first half of the year and there was pga went further up in the year and there was a lot of talk last year about what a more cramped schedule would do but the way we're looking now from the end the back end of this year heading into next year it looked like it could be even more tournaments and tournaments of greater significance uh, in consecutive weeks as we go over Christmas and into next year. So uh, interesting to see how a lot of players deal with the uh, sort of heightened uh, run of bigger tournaments in a row, but it seemed like Marshall Bleachman wouldn't have too much trouble with it. He didn't think he said it would be uh, more mental than anything. Probably, I'd say more mentally
4: taxing. Um, You know, the big tournament, you want to play well in every tournament you play in, but particularly the majors uh, and the playoffs you know you want to that's when you want to be playing your best and I guess that's when you put mentally put the most pressure on yourself um is those weeks I think physically they're no different to to any other week um maybe Augusta because it's so hilly and you know there's so many shots of uneven lies you know you have to make sure you're you're in decent condition to to play there but apart from that I mean it's just it's just golf you know we'll Physically, we'll we'll be fine. But I think mentally, you could see some, um, possibly see some interesting things happening on the golf course by Augusta.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We heard from Brett Coletta last week, he's obviously trying his best to get back over to the US for the start of the Corn Ferry Tour. And uh, one of the big sticking points at the moment is international travel and how easy or hard that's going to be. And uh, we asked Mark about what he's going to think, the sort of impact of being able to travel uh, towards the back end of this year too, the biggest events is going to be on him
4: i think there's potential for that to happen um if that was to happen i don't know what the organizers of the you know those tournaments would do i mean that's it's going to be a tough decision if there's you know 20 30 guys that are qualified that can't get there because they're in europe or asia or something uh that's gonna that's another set of issues i guess um but yeah i i guess that there's a big possibility that might happen um but, you know, like I was saying before, hopefully things can get under control sooner rather than later and those travel bans can be lifted. But, again, I'm not, you know, at all qualified to to be a judge of any of that.
0: So away from golf, uh, Mark Leishman's very proud of the work that he and his uh, wife Audrey do with the Begin Again Foundation. Uh, so much work they do, not only in the United States but around Australia. It's a growing thing. With um, I know that um, there's a lot of support from Golf Australia for what they're doing. Uh, started around sepsis, but it's taking a lot further. And uh, we asked Mark what he and the foundation are doing, uh, alongside Audrey, of course, at the moment in uh, not only in Australia but also particularly around Virginia Beach at home.
4: Yeah. So what we're doing is um, the hospitals around this area. There's uh, about four or five big hospitals within about a thirty minute drive. Um, we're providing um, food for the ICU. Um, doctors and nurses and, you know, staff and then the um, the emergency ward staff. So we're doing that till the end of May. Um, so that's one thing, just, you know, grab a grab and go basically because they're so busy and the last thing they want to be doing, worrying about doing is going to try and find something to eat or, um, you know, get something quick. So we're doing that. And then we're also, um, Audrey, my wife, was at the the supermarket yesterday and none of the the checkout staff had had masks on and she'd noticed how stressed they were looking. Yeah. Cause everyone's going to the, the supermarket. So, um, we're doing, we, we've just ordered a thousand masks for, for the staff at, at supermarkets. So just little things that maybe can help, um, help people's lives or reduce a bit of stress or nothing huge, but, um, we're doing what we can for, you know, for a small foundation. So, things that are going to make an impact on people's lives, hopefully by, by not getting this uh, this virus.
0: So, yes, I mean, that's just tremendous from from Leish. Uh, I think he's still got that really common touch where um, he can appreciate that, you know, the people at the checkouts, for example, at the supermarket are, are you know, doing it tough or what the nurses and doctors who need to feed in uh, when they're working huge hours, that's just great to me and it just shows the common touch not not really seeking publicity per se but just doing what's right I think in the community it really separates him a little bit I think from not only his uh, Aussie peers but I know a lot of people are doing some good things but that's just that's pretty priceless I think and shows you who Mark Leishman is Justin I've got a lot of time for the big fella and as I said um, that was recorded you know uh, the week of the Masters but it all stands true, and he's just got great perspective, hasn't
3: he? Yeah, absolutely. And from an on-course point of view, I think it'll be interesting to see how a lot of these guys can come back from this long layoff. I mean, it, it may even help some of them. They obviously weren't playing a heap of golf. The season had really only just started for the new year. But you wonder if a long break uh, before we get into what's probably going to be a pretty grueling, we hope, sort of back end of this year into next year. It'll be interesting to see how a long freshen up might actually help some of these guys and. Uh, it might not actually hinder them too much, being able to put the clubs away for quite a long while and then get back into uh, it. I did
0: find it really instructive before we uh, tune up for a break here, that uh, he had a bit of a giggle when we were, he was talking about the mental challenge of the events. <laughs> um, when he when he actually said that you know some of the players, um, you could really see something pretty funky here and had a bit of a giggle. I I, I think the pressure on the guys. Uh, when they come back, especially those who didn't start the season well, um, is going to be enormous. And if they start to feel things slipping away, which is a real challenge when you've got a compact season here, um, the fact that Leish predicts a bit of carnage mentally, I think is really funny. So you're right. It's going to be fascinating. Let's hope that we all get to see it unfold. Um, that's going to be the big $64,000 question in the next couple of months, isn't it really?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, touching on that, I mean, said that for the guys that didn't get off to a good start, we're probably, looking back now, that's why we're so lucky that a lot of our guys, not necessarily on the PGA Tour, but the European Tour guys got off to such a great start and had wins early, Minwui Lee and Lucas Herbert. It's really taken the pressure off those guys to, I mean, the whips are going to be cracking pretty severely towards the end of this year. So to have a lot of guys that had great starts, Wayne Ormsby as well, uh, winning in Hong Kong, it's going to be uh, nice for those guys to be able to sort of work their way back into the season, not have that pressure of having to perform immediately. It's very exciting, actually, when you uh,
0: tune in the European Tour schedule, if you can take away all the other nastiness going on. When you you look at the races, you buy rankings, and you see all these Aussies right at the top, it's pretty amazing.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's a nice way to be. And there's probably a few up there on the uh, FedEx Cup as well, with Cam and uh, Mark and Adam Scott as well, having wins early in the season. Very true.
0: That's how it should be. Uh, Anyway, it's been great to to focus for a few minutes back on professional golf. We're going to take a bit of a detour here. When we come back after the break... We're going to have a chat with uh, someone in Queensland who is at the absolute coalface of grassroots golf at the moment as we all try and get a hit in in these crazy times. Back in a minute.
1: Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia.
2: Uh, Welcome back to the show. Uh, The chairman of GA joins us, one of our uh, very fine international players also. Let's bring it back to a domestic um, perspective here. There's five states and one territory were allowed to play golf in Australia, one and one were not. We've already spoken to Andrew Newbold about that at the top of the show. Wyndham Golf Club, but for three days, has had its doors open, a golf club just out of Brisbane. Obviously, up there in Queensland, the general manager of Wyndham Golf Club is Jason Bradley, who's been good enough to join us on the show. Jason, thanks for your time. No problem. If if normal golfing operations are 100%, um, what what level is Wynnum operating at at the moment?
5: Uh, In terms of competition play, we're actually operating at probably 110 to 120%. The the learnings out of this have been extraordinary. We've got groups of two, they're spaced seven minutes apart. You know, we experimented with that to see what worked properly. but, the, you know, you're getting around in two and a half to three hours. Um, there's plenty of space out there. Everyone's enjoying it. And uh, we're actually doing, you know, on an annualised basis, we're doing more competition rounds than we've, we've done in, in my time at least. So. That's staggering. It, it, it is. It's been – the information we're getting out of this around the whole golf delivery model has been mind-blowing. So, you know, we'll take some time to digest that. Um, but for now, it's – um yeah, things are going really well and everybody's keeping really safe.
2: How mindful of you know the, the, the lifestyle restrictions that we're all operating within, how mindful of those of your golfers being? Um,
5: very mindful. Um, but I mean, the messaging has been very strong. Um, I think the leverage point has been that something that they love so dearly as I do was taken away. Um, and then when the opportunity was presented to actually trade and, and have golf and forget about all the running around for the food and beverage, which every golf club in the country probably tears their hair out with um we, we it's just about golf and everybody is is appreciative and they're all doing the right thing it, it, it's you know I, we, we literally haven't had any matters that we've had to deal with in terms of members doing the wrong thing. jason let's put this on a human level here how many staff do
0: you normally have and how many are not uh working at the moment
5: yeah, we, we fluctuate between, you know, 20 to 30, depending on busy times, you know, doing functions and all that stuff. Um, at the moment, we've got a, a core staff of about uh, 10 to, to 11 people. Um, and they're all extremely busy. Um, and uh, through the whole JobKeeper scheme, we've been able to keep in touch with the others. And um, it's, um, yeah, that, that that side of things has been good and we're keeping people active. So you, you talk about having a
0: 110% capacity on the course, but you've got mm. 50, 50% capacity to be able to provide that. And I know that some are, uh, you know, food and beverage, and that doesn't impact necessarily on the course, but that it puts mm. a lot of pressure on everyone else to to make sure things are ticking from presumably right at dawn till right at dusk.
5: Yeah, and and, and look, we've got... Well, one of the one of the jobs that we've, we've had to make up uh was a, a marshal in the car park to to we actually uh we closed off a couple of entrances to the car park we've got a marshal uh near the pro shop that, that makes people wait until they're, they're 10 minutes before their tea time then they can be ferried through the pro shop in a, in a safe manner um look i mean it, it's a it's, it's probably not a funny reference but it's a little bit like north korea um around the clubhouse it's, it's very heavily controlled um and um so yeah, look, it's it's we're really busy, but it's it's actually fulfilling. That the atmosphere at the club is incredible. Of, of you know, we all know golf clubs, and and um, people can be a bit petty and and whinge and complain. I've had nothing but positive feedback. Everyone's just happy that, and the workers that are on are happy to be there.
3: You mentioned Jason that you guys were closed for that three day period. How different was the vibe around the club then, and how different were things looking moving forward uh, during that time?
5: Oh, it was terrible. It, it, I, I didn't sleep for 3 days it was just a uh, you know everyone was down we we the uncertainty was there we we didn't know what was happening in terms of government subsidies um you know announcements were being made thick and fast and we were trying to keep across it um my my board has been extremely supportive um in in helping me as well I've got to say um and we kept across everything and and got through it
0: so you've obviously got that sort of uh you know good communication internally uh, Andrew mm. Newbold spoke earlier on about the collegiate nature of golf. Is there something that you could explain to other clubs that are going through this, or those in Northern Territory or Victoria who'd like to be about the best things you've learnt, good or bad, through this process that you could share with other clubs?
5: I think I think the the leverage that we have available, people desperately want to get out and be active, and um, they will do what you whatever process you set up. So I think as long as you, you plan um and 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 we did that very carefully um you know i I, it's amazing through the through the comms with the members a a member came forward um and told me that his sister was an epidemiologist at the university of sydney and offered to take a phone call and i thought wow you know i'm just running a golf club here but I, i gave her a call and i'll tell you what it was fantastic she she gave me some real good ideas on where the high risk areas are around the club um you know the hard surfaces, all that sort of stuff. So we've got a sanitation program in place. We we leave disinfectant around for members. We we've really worked hard to to do this responsibly, and and that, from the outset, it's been okay. We're only doing golf if we can do it responsibly, and and, and we don't lose control out there. Um, so the advice I'd give would be, you know, leverage the fact that people want to play golf. They'll do what you want them to do, and then plan plan ahead. How how can we share your
0: knowledge? How how's is it best through? you know, Golf Australia's Queensland officers, going I know that they're aware of what you're doing or is it through the club or is it just people listening to this and, and taking taking it on board?
5: I think, I mean, I'm interested. I'm, I'm, on a, I'm on a group chat actually with GMs around Queensland and we've been sharing information on, on what we're doing. I, I, I found the GMs have all sort of come together because... It's not just the golf. There was the food and beverage and all the human resource management, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I think the message, um, yeah, probably through Golf Australia, I, I think if um, if a consistent model can be put together, um, that can be promoted to the clubs, not just about what's happening out in the golf course with your pool noodles and closing taps and all that stuff, but um, really how do you actually operate around the high-risk areas? I think that would be a good way to go, yeah. This just flows back just very neatly into what we were talking about before. Uh,
0: Just the revised focus of clubs, the importance of clubs, and there's no one to teach us better about what's happening in the world of golf right now than Jason and the people who are feeding him information. Mm. Yeah, no doubt.
2: So, so uh, absolutely. There's, there's clearly there are, and you know things that have been deemed essential services have stayed open. You go to a supermarket now and you see a different way of buying your groceries. I mean, it's a different, mm-hmm. you go and get a coffee at your local coffee shop. There's different ways of, of doing it. And and by and large, all of us are operating within the new restrictions, which which, which clearly up at Wynnum, they're doing, Jason. One mm-hmm. of the things that we've run into down here in Victoria where, where we're based is that a lot of golfers who have been um Supporters of the decision to shut golf courses mm. have, have taken it on board. They've, they've fallen on their own sword, if you will. On the whole, on the premise that okay, if if we have to shut things down, we have to stay home. Then I can I can live without playing a game of golf. I, I can I can that can be a sacrifice that I can make. Mm. It's their view is that it's a bad look to mm. be playing golf, going out with your mates, having a hit. When people are losing their jobs and, and 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 industries are shutting down everywhere, have you yeah. had to deal? Have you had to deal with that? At all that sense that the moral the moral dilemma, I suppose, as to whether or not we should be staying open.
5: Yeah, and I, I went through that process myself internally, um, and and in, in discussions I had with our board. You know, we we really went around that roundabout to make sure, you know, we are doing the right thing and. The more we, you know, I I go walking down the the waterfront here at Manly every morning and it's it's just so chaotic down there. There's runners that come up behind you and they're breathing all over you, cyclists that are, all this sort of stuff going on and there's no control. So the conclusion we came to was, well, we can control this. Um, We're going to have to be very authoritative about it, but we can do it and we can give that outcome. So when we've had, um, we have had one or two, complaints um you know people are stressed and they get concerned when they see it but um we've been able to explain what we're doing quite clearly and um and generally they they'll accept it yeah
3: we obviously just spoke to andrew newbold earlier in this pod and he mentioned of saying that i've to be honest haven't heard before he said never waste a good crisis what yeah. things are you doing at your club jason that maybe you've learned about different timesheets or different ways you can sort of run uh, the way your club operates that you might take uh, moving forward it's I, well, the
5: biggest learnings have been the the complications that trying to run too many revenue streams create for a club, and I think that's a big, big learning for the industry. I think you know, we struggle at, at the bottom line. Um, and the last two years at Wynn, I've I, you know, with my background, I've, I've, been, I've been able to pull out as much cost and try and get it running as efficiently as I can. But my goodness, for, for a small business, it is very complicated. So, right now, we're running a very simple business, um, it's a lot easier to, to run in that fashion. Um, and um, the, the other thing I'd say is the, the atmosphere at the club, the, the joy that people are extracting. And I think this is more of a, a broader philosophical view that, that this has sharpened our minds on what's really important. And, um, and golf is such a wonderful game to play. And uh, everyone's so happy. And, 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 again, a lot of, you know, I don't have to deal with complaints. I'm not dealing with um, disgruntled members. You know, mm. we've still got the same product, but yeah, they're all happy with it. So there's been some massive learnings for me.
3: That's great.
0: You've uh, mm-hmm. clearly at ease with this format here, Jason, and uh, you've become a bit of a YouTube sensation in my understanding. Yeah, Your communications with club members have taken a different path as well. Yeah, a, so can, you tell us, can you tell us a little bit about that? And B, um, I did happen to catch one of them where you were talking about the percentage of players taking a vastly different percentage of the time slots available on the timesheets
5: yeah yeah so so obviously you know we've had to reinvent the wheel in, in the space of two to three weeks and so um we've got 1100 playing members and we have about um 960 odd spots a week um and they're filling up within 30 to 30 seconds to a minute um so we've we've um we've instead of trying to police it too heavily we've, we've really um pleaded to the membership to, to pick one or two days a week that you really really want to play um, and, and just book those spots and let everybody else have a go. Let's let's try and do it as a community and share the benefit, and, and all of us extract the mental health benefits that we, we 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 really need. Um, and so far this week, it's actually working pretty well. Um, so we don't we don't want to go down that path of saying right, bang, we're gonna we're gonna stop you playing um, more than more than that. We don't want to restrict it. So so far so good on that front.
0: And have you found you know YouTube and other things that have made
5: Communications among oh, the membership is a lot easier. There's a bit of a, um, a few members used to complain because, again, don't forget, I come, I come out of corporate in, into this. You know, I'm a mad golfer, but I, I um, you know, Club Land was a new thing for me. And I had people saying, we want to, we don't know who you are and we want to see you. And I'm thinking, well, why do you want to know who I am? Who cares? I've got a job to do and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, this whole thing now, every member seems to know me. I, I geez, I was walking down the waterfront the other day at some bloke yelling out at me from his balcony and and all these sorts of things. It's, it, to me, it's the most powerful way of getting across quickly and building engagement with your membership. And um, I, I know uh, Scotty Wagstaff down at um, Down at Carbrook; he's been doing it for a while, and he does a great job. And um, so I've, I've I've learned from that. It's very powerful.
2: So, so last one from me, Justin. You, you mentioned another club just then in your region. Mm-hmm. Given the the operation that you're overseeing, is that uh, reflected on on in, at other clubs around the place that you know of?
5: I'm actually not sure. I mean, we we have, uh, a few of us have talked with each other about how we want to handle it. Um, So I'm I'm not 100% sure if if they're doing exactly the same thing. Um, But I think on the whole, like, there are different models around the place. And I I think I'd personally like to see us all come up with with a model that we agree on as being the best way to do it. Um, You know, we're not taking social players at the moment because we can't, they don't know how we do things. They wouldn't have seen our YouTube clips. Um, whereas other clubs are, and we're referring them on to them because we know they need a bit of revenue. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think we all need to talk a bit closer about how we do it.
2: Well, it sounds like it's a model that could be replicated elsewhere, Hazy, on Justin. I reckon it, um, it's, you know, we we'll wait for government intervention here in Victoria. Mm. But, um, you know, it does sound like you've, you've taken all of the um, responsibilities incredibly seriously and you're mm. and adapting the way people want you to. So, well done. Can yeah, I just thanks. ask you one,
0: one last one from me, Jason? Is, is, is have you, You've had, uh, I know you've had police, as most places of your sort of ilk have popped in and just mm. checked out how things are going. Um, mm. Is there another, you know, bit of advice you can offer to, to, I guess, patrons at all clubs around Australia, like as in along the lines of are you doing the right thing by mm-hmm. the sport, by the community?
5: Yeah, look, take it very seriously. I mean, not only have we had police observation, we've also had some, you know, as I said before, tensions are high. So some of the neighbours have been behaving in ways they shouldn't be. And um, so we've had a we've had a break and enter at the club. Um, we've had some other things that we've had to deal with. So I've been in regular contact with the police. But I just suggest everybody, yeah, you've got to take it seriously because we, we can lose the game that we love at a time that we need it most. Um, it, it's that's really it's as simple as that.
2: Mate, um, thanks for coming on and having a chat to us about what you've got going on up there. Um, it, uh, it sounds like you're doing a fantastic job. Really appreciate your time and and Thank yeah. through the rest of this thing. All the best.
5: Same to you guys. I hope you get back
2: out in the course. Yeah, so do we, mate. <laughs> Jason Bradley, General Manager, Wynnum Golf Club. Uh, fantastic to have him on the show and I reckon there'll be some... Um, some learnings there for a lot of clubs around the place who are looking to deal with, um, with the restrictions that this virus has brought upon us. Uh, we'll get our last break out of the way, come back with, um, to wrap it up here on Inside the Ropes after this.
1: Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia.
2: Welcome back to the show. Bit of meat on the bone on this one today. A uh, couple of bits and pieces just before we wrap it up. I don't know how many um, people? Are, I, I must have I wasn't aware of the name of Marion Hollands until I read a story late last week um, out of the states that that this incredibly important, incredibly important woman um, is going to be um, inducted into the Hall of Fame when they meet whenever that's to be next year. Have you either of you two? Do you, do you know, I don't know. I'm not a Marion Hollands expert. Did you know? Do you know her story at all? No. Nope. He's <laughs> okay. here's, here's the absolute cheat cheat, Hazy. Born in 1892, um, was an incredibly gifted sportswoman, um, took to golf particularly, was a US Women's Amateur Champion at 21. She was captain of the first Curtis Cup winning team in 32. She died in 1944 um, at the age of 51. Um, but for all the greatness as a player, um, she was a somewhat renowned golf course designer herself having designed a couple of um, properties, particularly for women. But had it not been for Marion Hollands, um, Alistair McKenzie would never have been introduced to the property at Cypress Point. And had it not been for Marion Hollands, Bobby Jones would not probably have conscripted Alistair McKenzie to work on Augusta National. So we've got, we've got this woman uh, now, I've never been to Cyprus, but you've seen pictures and you hear people talk about it. Uh, we, we've got this woman pretty significantly to thank for two of our living, breathing, golfing cathedrals, if you will. Without her, we may never have had these two golf courses.
0: Yeah, it's pretty remarkable to, when, you, when you put it all like that. And um, I, she was ahead of her time. I, I, this is just my reading in the last couple of days, Andy. I'm not a Holland's expert, but uh, she was fundamentally the first Um, not that she was global at the time, but without her, there'd been no female involvement in golf course architecture, basically for the first, uh, well, greater chunk of that century, the 20th Mm. century. So she was groundbreaking in so many ways. um, Not least of which, aside from what you said, there was, she had a massive hand in the 16th, the long, famous par three at Cypress point That's, that's her little baby. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. That's regarded as one of the great holes in the world. Clay's always raves on about it on our podcast. So, um, yeah, so many things. These, this is the best thing about the world golf hall of fame, because i have been watching on ESPN, for example, with the Michael Jordan documentary, it brings in comparisons for new versus old. So everyone's going crazy on the Jordan James debate. You know, who's the best player. This is, Sort of thing, and enables the younger generation uh, like us to cast an eye back and and just mm. appreciate who it is that she was. Uh, you know, amazing woman by the sound of things, and I'm I'm really grateful to learn a bit about it, especially from you. I'm I'm impressed that you are such a <laughs> an oracle.
2: Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, my research doesn't go too far beyond Wikipedia, so hopefully uh, the details on her Wikipedia page are true. But uh, I want to know more about her. I'm going to try and find a book about her. I think she'd be a fantastic read. Speaking about stuff that we're seeing, and this is, uh, did either of you two happen to see, I don't know what it was on, uh, ESPN or I don't know, one of the channels somewhere. Did either of you happen to see British Week? I uh, think there's a little th- series called British Week. And I don't know, the, clearly the focus of uh, the British Week angle was Ian Poulter's performance, by and large, um, along with you know, a couple of other Brits, if you will, you know, Rory, Principal among them, the 2012 Ryder Cup at Medina. And it was, you know, 10-6 down, going to the singles, they come back, they win, you know, brilliant stuff. Kyle out, knocks a putty on you know, sixteen or seventeen, but they, they win the thing. But the speech—it was that Alasma was captain. It was that they had the silhouette of Sevi on the shirts going into the final day, and he, they wanted Sevi to be part of it uh, badly. And it was Alasma was doing his speech at the presentation ceremony. Not every every man dies, but not every man lives. That is, I <laughs> go back, go back, and find that that gets the hairs standing up. It was bloody amazing. You've got to watch it too because it was quite hard for um, uh, El to get through that. You know, he's quite overcome and he was stopped by the chanting of the European fans of Sevi, Sevi, It was obviously really difficult for him to get through, but I'd forgotten how powerful that was. And um, it was a, it was great to go down one of those little kind of streaming wormholes that we're all going through with a bit more time at home and and watching that. I, I encourage people to find it if you can be bothered.
3: I need to get Trevor Immel and to get that up on the projector screen and show it to the internationals before the next uh, President's Cup next year. Oh,
2: Hazy, r- I was pretty stir. it was really stirring stuff. No, I
0: vaguely, Andy. I, I'd, I'd have to c- travel down the wormhole, um, but it, I do remember it vaguely. But um, we're just just hearing you say that sort of makes you fire up a little bit. You sort of want to run. Yes. out.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit like that um, So, no, let just, t- t- before you go
0: just too far removed from the uh, the Hall of Fame um, we should mention that obviously Tiger Woods was the first name that was announced for the 2021 class and just this uh, this morning we're recording this on Tuesday again uh, Tim Fincham the long time PGA Tour Commissioner has been added um, have your thoughts on him personally it's fine, everyone's got their different views on what he's done but He's, uh he's made the PGA Tour arguably the biggest financial powerhouse of all major professional sports in the world. So, you know, he's had a very big hand in what's happened in the past 20 years. So three good ones. I know there's one-fourth name to come uh, for the 2021 class, but apparently I did see online, if you're speaking of British stuff, Andy, that they've snubbed Podrick Harrington. He's not going to be one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's an uproar in, uh, in the... Um, UK area about Padraig's what do, you, what do you have to do to get into the World Golf Hall of Fame, which is probably a fair enough thing. But there's always question marks on who you leave out and who you put in. But when you – I know there's different categories too, but when you see the name Fincham go in and you see Harrington left out, it's like, oh, is that right? I don't know.
3: Yeah, there's, surely, um... surely it's only a matter of time for Padraig Harrington. You'd think he'd get in, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah.
2: definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't think there was as many people saying, oh, it's only a matter of time until Tim Finchin gets in. Like, he'll here, here <laughs> <laughs> No one's been having that conversation, I don't reckon. Hey, um, speaking of uh, all of that and, and winding it into a question I've got for you two, uh, and it's, you know, with the, the rest of 2020 in front of us and the what ifs and what might be's, if they decide to go ahead with the Ryder Cup, right, if they decide, yep, yeah, we want to play the Ryder Cup, but we're going to play the Ryder Cup without a fan coming through the gate. No fans. Is Earth, it worth? Is it? What, is it? The Ryder Cup so different from even the majors, I reckon. Is it worth having the Ryder Cup in a year where you can't have fans coming through the joint?
3: You can't imagine it. I think anyone who watched uh, football codes of either sport from the first few weeks of the season a few weeks ago and watched footy, for example, without crowds, it was just it was bizarre and it sort of took a lot of the air out of the balloon. So as you said, a crowd at a ride, Ryder Cup definitely more invested than even at a major, you'd think. So uh, if you, you couldn't fathom watching the rider Cup with deathly silence across the course. And uh, who knows? What do they do? I mean, they're probably desperate to get crowds there, but you yeah, think they wouldn't push, push the issue too hard. Uh,
0: my Yeah, I agree with everything you just said there, Justin. Um, I just... It's so hard to comprehend that even happening. Um, we... Last time it was played, Andy, you'll recall in various forums we discussed it being bigger than golf. And in fact, one of the key elements of all world sport, one of the key properties, I should say, for, you know, spectators. And people can understand it and buy in for a week and then Mm bug off and leave golf alone and still be blown away. So it's one of those. And uh, the crowds, (laughs) what makes that, particularly in Europe but this time, um, you know, back in the United States – they were talking about it five minutes after they got their butt handed to them in in huh. France last time. They've been building up to this. The American crowds know—not that I'm a fan of American crowds—but they know the role they've got to play in getting the cup back for the Americans. You know, it's built all around the crowd. The carnage in the, in the courses is what makes the Ryder Cup special. If you're just watching another golf tournament on TV without a roar, then does it be stay that property? I don't, I don't know. But on the other hand, as most sports are doing, including golf, um, the the television revenue that the Ryder Cup generates probably makes decisions uh, a lot harder to make. Because would you like to play the crowd in uh, the Ryder Cup without a crowd? No. But might you have to to keep the financial wolves from the doors? Maybe. What if you played it in consecutive years? So what do they do with the Presidents' Cup then?
3: Well, I was thinking about this this morning when you flagged it with us, Mari. Would it help or hinder, I guess, both tournaments? What if you played them in, like, back-to-back weeks, for example, and you just had team goal fortnight, and you got to see the Americans play perhaps the internationals the first week and then back it up and play Europe the next week?
2: So stay in the – let the Americans have the home course advantage. Let's play the two weeks both at Whistling Straits, for example – so the Americans get and they can they can sub a couple in if they need to change some make some change, and breaks out of form, they can do whatever but is like give them give the, the Americans the, the the luxury of having a having a bit of that sort of stuff if they need it.
3: I think you'd run the risk of making the President's Cup feel like a bit of a curtain raiser if you did that, because you'd probably have that prior to the Ryder Cup, wouldn't you? But I also think watching two weeks of team golf and then it's two weeks of storylines and someone's not playing well, do they drop him? Do they bring someone else in? Things like that. I reckon it could be pretty fascinating. I'm open to consider it, Hazy.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, my my gut instinct when you first started speaking was, yeah, you can't sort of, you know, it it will diminish one. Mm. And There's no doubt. And the President's Cup will come off second best, no doubt. But, uh, wow, what a concept that would be. Imagine if you – it would be pretty epic. If it went well, it would be unbelievable. It um, would, be- but, the, but the thing about this is, as we discussed with all the other elements of
2: the show today, <laughs> on. if- there's only one. There's only one problem with that. You know, it's already slated for the week before the Ryder Cup, don't you? This week, oh, this year, no. this Yeah. 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 USA- oh, sorry, oh, sorry. I'm just talking about if we, if we push it back for you. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I
0: just, I just think that, um, as we've said with with both um, Andrew Newbolt and with Jason Bradley. This presents us all with chances to do crazy, weird things. What, so why not?
2: Why not? It's not what golf where it was before, but who says it can't be like that? So bugger it. Let's have a crack at it. And it won't be forever. You know, it's just this one-off in this crazy time. So anyway, just food for thought. Uh, I, I'm done. Uh, it's been interesting today. There's been a lot to get through. There's been a lot in there. So hopefully people have enjoyed it as much as we have. Right, anything left on the on the cutting room floor for you two blokes before you say goodbye? I just vaguely, I just wanted
0: to mention that we vaguely mentioned that we would discuss a topic that was put to me on email uh, by a guy called Joe Hassel. I think there's too much in it, Andy, to sort of chat too much about it today. So I haven't forgotten you, Joe. We'll try to get there at some stage. Um, But yeah, great. I I love what um, Jason Bradley was saying before. I think that was fantastic. I think um, we can all learn a lot about it. So very appreciative of his time. Good to see you, Falconer.
3: Good to see you too, Murray. You too, Hazy. Uh,
2: see you next week Um, thanks for being part of it again everybody this has been Inside the Ropes episode 160 thanks to Jason Bradley, thanks to Mark Leishman and thanks to Andrew Newbold thank you for listening, Uh, we'll see you sometime next week